Alright, so here we are in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And notice in the first verse it says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And he goes on to describe uh, what people are going to be like during this time. And therefore, you know, these are going to be really bad times. And, you know, anybody who reads this passage could say, man, this is the day we're living in right now. But, you know, I think they had some of this going on in Paul's day, and this has always been going on. I've heard that 2 Timothy 3 preached my whole life. And every pastor I've ever heard is like, man, we have got to be in the last days. Look at this right now. You know, and the truth is we've been in the last days for 2,000 years. This is always going to be around. And I'm calling this message like perilous times. But what is it? That I, and I thought of a, different, a few different uh, titles for this. I just kind of stuck with perilous times just because, you know, when it comes to these perilous times, I personally believe what makes them so bad, what makes them so perilous is a lot of times when we think of peril, we think of, you know, bombings, wars, earthquakes, you know, all the physical things, right? You know, pestilences, you know, diseases and things like that. But all these things that he goes on to talk about here are really just um, examples of people, you know, character traits of people who love themselves. Because notice how it says, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. Now, how does loving yourself, you know, cause more earthquakes to come, more famines and things like that? Uh, maybe because we love ourselves so much, we don't want to protect others and, you know, social distance and all that kind of stuff. Maybe that's how we're killing everybody. But ultimately, the reason times are perilous is because he's, I believe he's saying this too, it's more about the doctrine. Because in chapter 2, it was all about the doctrine. It was all about preserving good doctrine, telling them to hang on to these things. You know, teach faithful men these things. And then when he gets to chapter 3, he's warning them about perilous times that are going to come. And so I believe the peril that he's warning him about is peril in doctrine. That there's going to be really bad doctrine and the motivation for this bad doctrine that people are going to be teaching is the love for themselves. There are some things that if you want to be popular that you need to teach. There are some things if you want to make the big bucks that you need to teach. I mean, if you want to please a certain camp in the IFB, there are certain things that you need to please. Did you know that somebody could come along and because of the love of money, because of the love of popularity, because of the praise of men, that could motivate them to want to preach every new IFBism that there is? And let me tell you something, there's a lot of new IFBers that are garbage, that are in it for the wrong reason, that are preaching the right things for the wrong reasons. You can find this these type of people in any religion, in any camp. It's always going to be there. It always has been around. It always will be. Now, from camp to camp and from religion to religion, it may manifest itself in different ways. And we'll talk about that as we go. But ultimately, what causes bad doctrine to come into the church and perilous times to come, doctrinally speaking, it's men love them, their own selves. And you know, another thing I thought about calling this is just the millennial generation. That's what I've heard a lot of the old IV use that term when talking about this generation instead of millennials, millennials, because it's all about me, the selfie generation, just obsessed with themselves, just wanting to do whatever they can to promote themselves and put themselves out there. Their ultimate motivation for anything they do and teach is themselves. There's people out there, they want to be a teacher, not because they want to help people, because they want to promote themselves. That's all there is to it. They just love themselves. They want that platform. They want that notoriety. That's all there is to it, and this 
you know, attitude, this love of self has caused some really bad teaching to get into a lot of churches and some really bad people to get into a lot of churches. So let's go ahead and read through some of these things in verse 2. So he's talking about perilous times. And I'm telling you this is more about doctrine and just how things are in the church than just chaos in the world. Okay? And it says in verse 2, For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, okay, covet, coveting, wanting something that's not yours, wanting something that you can't have, but trying to get it anyway. That's what coveting is. Boasters. We all know what boasting is. Bragging on yourself. Proud. Blasphemers. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful. Unholy. Why is it that people disobey parents? Because they want to do what they want to do. They want to do their thing. You know, why are they, why are they blaspheming? They think they know better than God. That's why they teach a lot of the blasphemous doctrine they do. Always trying to just lift themselves up, promote themselves. All of this stuff that we're seeing here, it's all, it all comes down to people just love themselves too much. That's why they do these things. Without natural affection. Why would a mother want to kill her baby? We often use that term when it comes to abortion. Because she loves herself. She loves her figure. You know, she wants to look good so she can impress other people. And having that baby is going to mess up her body. And so what does she do? Well, let, let's kill it. That's not natural. That's not normal. That's weird. Yeah, that's strange. And you know what? Without natural affection, it can apply to more than just, you know, moms who want to kill them, kill their babies. You know, just parents who don't want to take care of the kids. Parents who don't raise their kids. A father who would spare the rod. The Bible says he hates his son. That's not normal. Yeah, you're going to, you're just so you can fit in with society. You're going to go and just let your child, you know, run amok and do whatever it wants to do. And you're not going to implement biblical discipline. That's weird. Hey, listen, I understand wanting to be popular, but hopefully, you'll, you know, that's pretty normal. But hopefully your love for your children trumps that. Just like moms will do some crazy things sometimes to save their children when they're in danger. Why? That's because they love those kids. That's normal. That's natural for them to do something like that. But then to just allow your child to be harmed because you want to be popular, that's weird. That's not natural affection. We've got that going on. Truth breakers. False accusers. Man, we could preach whole sermons on each of these, couldn't we? False accusers. Let's talk about Facebook for a little bit. I don't have time. You know, I, I could go. I could preach a series. Every, you, know, uh, uh, you know, week by week, I could preach a series. You know, just ripping on false accusations from the previous week. You know, because it's that bad. It's that bad. It's out of control. Incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. A lot of people love pleasures because who, you know, if you love yourself, why would you not want to bring pleasure to yourself? But you know, the Bible teaches that we were created for God's pleasure, not the other way around. Okay, and it's understand. I understand if you want to please yourself, but you ought to want to please God more. We ought to we ought to understand that. That's the way it ought it ought to be. So we could we could preach a sermon on each of these specifics. We're not going to do it. We can give examples of where we're seeing them in the church. But to sum it all up, what we're seeing here is a church that's in peril, something he was warning about. And the peril that's in the church is that man has decided we're going to do what we want instead of what God wants. That's all there is to it. That's why any church would just do what they want instead of God wants because they love themselves more than they love God. That's why we have the fun center churches all over the place. Because, I mean, who doesn't like Chuck E. Cheese? 
So they're gonna have, you have these Chuck E. Cheese Fun Center churches, because that's what people like. But they love themselves more than they love God, so they're not doing what God said. And then he goes on, he says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such, turn away. Now, what does this verse mean exactly here? Because this is one of these great passages that I've been talking about where I could literally, based on what I've read and what's in this chapter, I could preach on whatever I wanted tonight. If I got a score to settle with somebody, I could settle it tonight with this chapter because it covers a lot of stuff. If I just got something I want to rip on, somebody I need to take down, you know, if I need to defend myself on something, if I got a current issue I want to get involved in, I got it right here, folks. I got what I can preach whatever I want right here. And then even with this one verse, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. I could talk I can go wherever I want with that. And people do go wherever they want with that. And what's funny, after after I put this message together, I came across a sermon. This guy is actually a Ruckmanite. That had, he, the title was like denying the power thereof, I believe it was. And so I, I got curious. Hey, I wonder if he's got this right. And I actually went and I listened to a little bit of the message. It sounded like he actually had it right. Okay? I, you know, stop clock it's twice, right twice a day, right? You know, even a Ruckmanite can figure this out. But I've heard this preached in a lot of ways. You know, one way I could get up and preach this if I was a camp meeting preacher, having a form of godliness. You know, we got a lot of churches out there where people, they look godly. They show up to church, they're wearing their suits and ties, the ladies got their dresses on. But boy, the preacher gets up and starts preaching a sermon, and you can't get a holy grunt out of none of those people. There ain't no power in that church. Well, let me tell you something. You ought to believe the church ought to have some power in it. And when the preaching starts, you know what? We ought to see people running some laps. We ought to see people getting excited a little bit, and some ladies waving their hankies, and some men you know, doing some laps. You know, but these people, you know what? They're, they're all stuffy. They're all too good for that kind of thing. You know what? They have a form of godliness. They look good, but they're denying the power. I can do that. And I've heard that done. Okay? I've heard that done. But what exactly is Paul talking about when he said that, when he talked about having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away? Because there's people we're supposed to stay away from. There's some people we're not supposed to fellowship with. We're not supposed to have anything to do with. And so, what exactly is this verse talking about? Okay, not not what application can I make so I can go after whoever I want to go after? Okay, and I, if, if the preacher wants to do that, it's fine. I, I, like I said before, there's times where that's appropriate. But let's get what Paul was talking about here. What was Paul talking about when he said this? Because you know, if they're guilty of these things. You know, then what could the form of godliness be? Okay? Because, for example, if I'm preaching against Pastor Trendy, you know, if I want to just apply this to him, and I've heard many people apply it to him, is, you know, his, God, his form of godliness would be his sweetness, his kindness, his graciousness, his Joel Osteenish smile that he has, and just how loving and accepting and just compassionate. That he is. That's his form of godliness. I mean, isn't it godly to be loving and compassionate and sweet and kind and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, that's that's a form of godliness. So I could go there and I could, you know, just rip on the trendies for a while. And trust me, I'd love to do that. I'd love to do that. You know, if it's Pastor Trendy preaching against us, then you could say our form of godliness. Okay, what's our form of godliness? What's our go-to? If anybody criticizes anything we do, well, at least we're... Soul winners, right? That gets us out of anything. Anybody wants to criticize us in anything? Anybody's got a problem that, you know, we don't do enough of something? We're about to, well, at least we soul win. 
you know, at least we saw it out. You guys spend too much. Yeah, you know, if you, you know, anything we don't like that people are doing, they should spend more time soul winning. We, that, you know, that's what we do in our crowd, right? Okay? That's, that's what we would do. Our form of godliness is soul winning, but they could teach how we deny the power thereof. You know, oh, no, no, we don't. Well, you know, I'm just saying that that's what they would do. Because, you know, I, I do think there's some elements of that even in this movement. We'll talk about that. But the truth is, this, you know, it could manifest itself in many ways. Okay? What Paul is talking about here could manifest itself in many ways. And I believe we could find an example of what he's talking about. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. I think we could find an example of this in literally any camp. In the IFB world or any other religion. I knew there was one crowd I used to be around sometimes where their form of godliness was their music. They were way more strict on music than everybody. And they were better than everybody because of it. Because of the fact that, you know, what's, you know they, would, they would ask this question, you know, what's the most important thing a Christian can do? What should be the most important thing? And I remember I used to think, well, you know, when souls go soul winning, that's, that's what I used to think. No. You know, it's glorify God. The Bible says we were created for His pleasure. And therefore, we should glorify God. And so, you know, as long as you're glorifying God, you're good. And their way of glorifying God was having the most godly music and, and always having a somber, you know, attitude over everything and, you know, praising the Lord for anything that happens and never talking about what they do. And you all are wicked because you like to talk about souling and people you got saved. If you were, you know, if you had your priorities right, you'd be about glorifying God and therefore you would never talk about what you do. And, you know, that's pretty convenient if you don't go soul winning to have a policy where we're not allowed to talk about it. Because then I don't have to get questioned about whether I ever do it or not. You know, can, can you see how even they are taking that and making it very convenient for themselves? We can all do this, folks. You can find this in any camp. So what does this mean? You know, denying the power, having a form of godliness, but denying the power. That, you know, what does this mean? What does it mean to deny the power? Because the form of godliness, I believe, is whatever we have, you know, made a featured thing about ourselves. Okay? And we all have those things. We all, you know, said some people it might just be King James Bible. Hey, that's good. That's good. But, you know, they, they always want to lift these things up as a way to show how good and godly they are. But at the same time, a lot of these people are snakes and bad people. But they do have that form of godliness. So what does it mean to you know deny the power? Because we do we need to watch out for these people who are unbalanced, you know, versus those who love God. And this and let me tell you, you know, the, there's imbalance everywhere. Okay? You're not gonna find that perfectly balanced, you know, church, perfectly balanced movement. We, we're all a work in progress. You're just you're not gonna find it. So what is that dying power? There? Well, since he's been talking about Godliness versus ungodliness. Since he's been talking about being a lover of self more than a lover of God, then I think we would I think we would have to assume he is talking about the power that comes with godliness. Okay? Because there's many people today, for example, that teach a demented grace doctrine that teaches that works don't matter even after salvation. Okay? Now this is where I could talk about the trendies. For a long time. They call us legalists because we preach hard against sin. 
We tell Christians, you shouldn't do this. If you do this, you're not right with God. If you don't do this, you're not right with God. We teach that. We preach that kind of thing. And they would call us a legalist because of it. But then we go and, you know, it's all about grace. It's all about grace. You know, Jesus only sees you as Christ. And then we look at their churches and their churches, you know, look like they just went and pulled a bunch of people out of a bar room. And their churches look like a bar room. And we're looking at this and we're, and you know, on our side, we're looking at these people and they got the girls up there in their tight clothes and their tight pants up there singing their 7-Eleven songs. And, you know, you and I, we look at that and we're like, man, something's wrong here. And then they'll just tell us we're legalists. We're like, dude, there's no way these people are saved, you know. And then, you know, they look at our crowd like, man, you people are just mean. There's no way you people are saved. You know, I mean, and we, we, we see this kind of thing and go back and forth and go either way. But I, you know, there's the, the teachings that are out there are so bad. The practices that we see are so bad. You know, it causes a lot of confusion. And I do believe a moder- the, uh, the modern manifestation we're seeing in the IFD world is in the trendies. I really do. Because they are a people who... I mean, literally, you know, teach, many of them teach a pretty clear salvation, but yet we never see any change in people's lives. Okay, now some people get freaked out when you start talking about change after salvation. You know what? That's nothing to get freaked out about. It's not. What's going on in these churches is wicked. Okay? They, and they do. Their form of godliness is their sweetness, their kindness, but yet everything they do, it's funny how all their music is what the modern generation loves. Isn't that interesting? You know, why is it that, you know, they, you know how, how are the trendies who just do whatever is trending, okay? How are they not the one who love themselves? How are they not the ones who are uh, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God when lost people would like their music? Where lost people feel com- comfortable in the atmosphere and the environment that they create, you know, why is that? I'll tell you why. Because they fit these things we're seeing in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And then, you know, we go and we come along and we're like, hey, you're saved. You should probably be changing. You should probably start, you know, changing the way you look and the way you act and the way you talk. And then they get all bent out of shape. But, you know, the truth is, Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. Lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So there's no doubt we are not saved by our works, but is it not very clear that it is God's will that we have been ordained as Christians to now do good works? There's no doubt about that. Titus 2.11 for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. Boy, they don't like that word worldly. You know, good luck finding a trendy, use the word, term worldly, or call anyone worldly. They don't like that word worldly, but they love the word grace. Yet the grace of God that bringeth salvation teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live soberly. Why is it the trendies all like to defend drinking wine? 
Okay? Grace teaches me, you know, grace teaches me that I can drink in moderation. Drink, you know, grace teaches me that you know I can still take a drink every now and then, and God still loves me. He just sees Christ. Well, you know what? Grace teaches me I ought to be sober. That's what grace teaches me, and that's what the Bible says it will teach. Righteously and godly in this present world. Okay? And this, this time that we're living in, the time that you live in, you know, and they always want to bring up, well, what did they do back then? Well, wait a minute. What is it teaching you to do right now? They always get bent out of shape about when you talk about standards. Well, you think the Apostle Paul wore a suit and tie? You know, do you think, you know, do you think they dressed exactly the way, you know, we do now? No, but what are we supposed to do right now in this present world? And my Bible teaches that I should deny ungodliness and worldly lust. That means I probably shouldn't be looking just like the world. Our world's promoting you know, the unisex movement and cross-dressing. So we probably shouldn't follow those trends. We should probably try to make sure there is a clear distinction in our clothing when it comes to what gender it is for. I think that's pretty clear. That's what the grace of God teaches me. And yeah, I don't think the Apostle Paul wore a tie like this today, but... I see the preachers that are wearing a suit and tie when they get behind a pulpit preaching and how they are and how they live and what they preach. And I'm seeing the guys with the skinny jeans and how they preach and what they teach and what they got going on in their churches. And the grace of God is teaching me I ought to stay away from that worldly lust. The, you know, the, the grace of God is teaching me I shouldn't look like the people I'm seeing on the television and in the commercials. And these guys look just like them. The grace of God is teaching me when I get up to preach from the Word of God that I shouldn't like the, you know, look like the comedian at the bar doing a stand-up comedy. I shouldn't be dressed the same as him. But go, don't do it, but if you were to go to the bar tonight and go to one of these clubs and watch a stand-up comedian, I promise you, I promise you, he will look a lot more like Pastor Trendy than he does me. I promise. Why? Because these people just do what's trending. They go with the world, with, with what's going on. That is not what we are supposed to do. And the truth is, when we get saved, God wants to change us. And I get it. We're not saved by our works, but God wants us to have works after we get saved. God wants that from us. And let me tell you something. A lot of the bad teaching that we're hearing from the old IFB today when it comes to repentance, it is in response to the demented grace crowd. Okay, and let me help you all with something here. Okay, when it, Because while the old IFB is factually wrong on many things that they say in this area, I do believe most of them are saved. I do, I, I do believe that. Because you know, just like many people when defending the deity of Christ have often slipped up and said things that weren't factually right, okay, we don't believe these people are heretics. Okay? A lot of times you get overzealous fighting a bad doctrine and you get out of line, you say some things that are factually wrong. It happens to all of us. Okay? We've all done things like that before. And many of the people in the old IFB have been fighting this liberalism, fighting this modernism that's going on in churches. They've been fighting this stuff for years, and thank God for them. I'm thankful that they've done that. But many of these guys you know, have gotten their, some of their facts wrong on some things. But I don't believe that means they're not saved. Because, for example... You've got all this, you know, Chuck E. Cheese Fun Center stuff going on out there. And you and I, we don't think these people are saved. And you know what? I don't think too many new IFBers would think they were saved. 
But here's what we... That, that's the big thing going on out there. But then you've got these foul-mouthed, sloppy-dressing, new IFB punks that go walking into these churches. They go strutting into these churches looking like a hobo, probably haven't been off drugs for more than a year, and then they want to go and they want to challenge the pastor where he is in the gospel. And they want to tell him, you know, what do you think about repentance? You know? And they're going to challenge this guy on this. And then he doesn't realize what he's up against. He doesn't realize what the guy is looking for that he's talking to. You know, and he doesn't say, you know, I, yeah, I think a person, you know, repent, if they're really saved, they will repent of their sins or something like that. And then he's got these punks, you know, what the H is wrong with you? You're a false prophet. Now, when you do that, you know what that pastor is going to think? This is one of these demented grace people. You know, it's just believe, man. It's just believe. You know, I'm going to leave here and smoke weed tonight, and I'm still going to be saved. You know, and these pastors, they look at that, and they're like, you know what? I think if you got saved, you know, the Holy Spirit would probably encourage you to stop smoking that weed. But here I got this guy cussing me out, telling me I'm a false prophet and a heretic, and he's going to go out and smoke weed after church. I don't really think he's saved. Hey, and I'm just going to tell you right now, I think most of these guys are saved. And let me just say that this is for the Internet. This is for the Internet. This is for the people who will listen to all my sermons just so they can go tattle to their pastors about something I said that they think they won't like because they want to cause division. But you know what? When it comes to preachers that aren't dotting all their I's and crossing all their T's in the repentance side, I'm going to fellowship with them. I'm going to fellowship with these people. I like them. I think most of them are saved. There's some that aren't. But I'm going to fellowship with them. I'll have them preach in my church. I'd preach in their church if they let me. And you know what? If people don't like that, there's a magical button you can hit called unsubscribe. And you'll never have to worry about me you know, infiltrating the new IFB and corrupting the new IFB or whatever that is. And then you know, just ruining everybody and sending thousands of people to hell. As a result of that, you know, I am, I'm just, I'm sick of that attitude. I've had enough of it. And you know what? This is what's going to be funny. When these punks go and tattle to their pastors about this, their pastors already know that. All right? That's, that's what's funny about it. They're, they're not going to surprise their pastors one bit because my preacher friends know this about me. And they don't care. Okay? It's the online mouths and punks that get all bent out of shape on this stuff. And let me tell you, man, some of these people are just a horrible, horrible testimony. And they are a horrible represent, representation of what we preach when it comes to salvation. And I am embarrassed by them. And I have successfully been ticking these people off like crazy. And I hope to continue to do it to put as much distance between me and them as I possibly can. I want to keep people like that away from me. These people with their form of godliness. Their, what, what's their, you know what their form of godliness? Talking about how much they stole and how holy they are and how reprobate everybody else is. On YouTube comments and in chats. That's their form of godliness. Pounding their chest about how hardcore they are when they don't even go to a church. Because they're too holy for them. Let me tell you, if you don't even go to a church, I don't care to get preached at by you. I really don't. You, you don't impress me. I see you as someone with a pathetic form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And my Bible told me to turn away from you. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. You, you know, you make me sick. 
And I'm going to call this. And let me tell you, we don't want people like this in our church. Let me tell you, we've had we've had a lot of people that listen to this preaching, that have visited this church, that have moved to this church. But you know, most of those people that do that are the good ones were ones that I didn't know who they were because they weren't the ones all over social media talking about how spiritual they are. Every, you know, I mean, I think everybody that's moved here, I met you, found out who you were when you showed up. You weren't a YouTube personality or you know anything like that before. Those people always turn out to be the worst Christians in the world and just the biggest nothings that there are in Christianity. Just absolutely good for nothing. And I do. I I have successfully ticked off a lot of these people, and and hope to continue to do that. And, and I, I must not be doing enough because my subscribers keep going up. So I don't know if that's just more you know normal people finding me too. But I, I'm trying to just you know uh, rid myself of these people. And thank God they're not in our church because they are they're embarrassing. And I'm just you know I'm thankful that when these people do their stupidity that. You know, it's becoming more and more obvious and apparent that I'm not with them. And I think I think that's a good thing. But anyway, I don't need to spend any more time on that. But where was I? So, yeah, so just like, you know, when, when I, because, see, when I hear people say things that are factually wrong, because, again, a lot of times, you know, the old IFB, they've been fighting against this modernism that's coming in. You know, they've, they've been fighting against this attitude of people. They want to come into church, say they're saved, but they don't want to live like Christians. Hey, you can be saved and not live like a Christian, but you know what? If you get saved and you don't give up your drunkenness, you have, no, you have no business being in a church. If you get saved and you're not willing to give up your gossip and your railing and your backbiting, you have no business being in a congregation of believers. You are not fit to sit amongst a people like this. Hey, you're, you're not fit for that. And pastors have been preaching against these people, and yet these people, the most sorry Christians, are often the most loudmouth about free grace. And it is free. You know, and the devil uses them to make free salvation look bad. That's what he's doing. He uses these people to make it look bad. They turn off everybody to it. And, you know, these old IFB, I've corrected them in other sermons, they need to stop falling into these traps. Okay? They need to stick to the truth. They need to get their terminology right. They need to get their doctrine right on these things. And then, when these people come in their churches, they need to throw them out on their backsides. That's exactly what they need to do. They need to throw them out because they're not fit. Many so-called new IFBers that call themselves new IFBers are not fit to sit in a congregation of believers. Because their form of godness is a pathetic form, first of all, and they do. They deny the power thereof. And they are plants of the devil to make free salvation look bad. That's why people are like, you guys just one, two, three, repeat after me. You know, I had one of you new, those new IFBers in my church. Let me tell you about all the problems they caused. Uh, I know about those people. I know about, I, I, I know, I know. I've talked to some of these pastors before. Yeah, I know. And then the thing is, they hear us, you know, preach these things right. When we have a church that has godly people in it, but then... These clowns go quoting us, sending these pastors links to my sermons, and then I get associated with that nonsense. You know, and I have I've talked to many of these people, and I tell them, man, when you get a new, uh, a new IB in your church, you know, there's a 50-50 chance, and I'm not sure about those numbers there, that you're going to get a knucklehead, 
And I, I warn, I mean, I've warned pastors about new IV people in the church. And I've told them, man, some of them are just fantastic. They're great. They're blessings. But some of them will cause you a lot of trouble. You better watch out for them. I tell, I tell them that. Uh, go ahead and tattle to your pastor about that. Uh, he, he won't care. But anyway, so you know, I, do, I, I, think, I think these things are getting out of control. And I'm going to fellowship these people because they do. They need to continue preaching against these people that just think that change is a bad thing. And you know, godliness is a bad thing. No, it's a good thing. We need this. And so in verse 6, For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts. It's about the flesh again. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They're led away by their lusts. Okay? And the way that we can identify the good guys from the bad guys is look and see who is using the appeal of the Spirit versus those who are using the appeal of the flesh. And so when you have a church that looks, the lighting on the outside looks like a casino, you know, and the lighting on the inside looks like a bar room, who do you think they're trying to, what do you think they're trying to appeal to? They're trying to appeal to the flesh. There's no doubt about that. But it says in verse 9, and then people who do this, all right, verse 8, now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. Those who use the appeal of the flesh to try to reach people are worthless when it comes to doing good for the cause of Christ. Okay, something that's reprobate, it's rejected, it's worthless, it's of no value. And preachers who want to come and they want to use the things of the flesh to appeal to people. And you know what? You know what appeals to the flesh? Let me tell you something that appeals to the flesh. Being better than everybody. You know what else appeals to the flesh? Backbiting and devouring one another. You know what else appeals to the flesh? Facebook lynch mobs, gossip, slander, railing, all that stuff appeals to the flesh. And that's why a lot of people are drawn to the new IFB. Because there's some things in the flesh that we've got to offer people too. Yeah, we don't have any skinny jeans and pink shirts, but you want to hear a good old-fashioned railing, make sure you subscribe to this channel. Because we're going to let you do it. We expose everybody. We're not a respect person. We hate everybody. Unless they're our friends. And then we're gracious. Then we teach loyalty and patience and godliness. But, when, but boy, when they're out of the club, all bets are off. You can do whatever you want. That appeals to the flesh, doesn't it? And let me tell you, what does that accomplish for the cause of Christ? Nothing. Not, that is good for nothing. Great for YouTube views. Okay, great. I keep saying that. I'm just going to do what I say. I'm, I'm going to start doing just clickbait titles that have nothing to do with my sermon. Just to prove is how carnal all my subscribers are. It's, it's ridiculous. So verse 9, But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. So while they come in subtly, while sometimes they're hard to identify, they always end up showing their fangs. We'll figure it out eventually. We'll figure out what everybody's motivation is eventually. People who are preaching the truth for truth's sakes, we'll find out eventually. Those who are doing it for money, for popularity, for whatever reason, and they're in any camp. Okay? They will show themselves eventually. We will find out. We will, we will all know. But verse 10, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. Paul's saying, I've been around for a while. You ought to know by now that I'm for real. That you guys know me. You've seen my works. You know what I do. Okay, so stop listening to the rumors and things. 
that are out there is what he's saying. You know, and I don't like to talk about myself, but you know, we're coming up nine years. I've got nine years worth of sermons on the internet. Okay, all these people out there trying to expose me and prove that I'm an infiltrator and all these things should have plenty of evidence by now. Okay, nine years of sermons from here. Plus, there's a bunch of sermons still out there from when I was at Lighthouse. I've got 20 years in the ministry. Y'all realize that? Almost. Almost 20 years that I have been in the ministry. Not counting, and that's just having a title. Because I grew up in the ministry. I've been doing bus routes, soul winning. I mean, just any. I mean, I have been involved in the ministry since I was born. I think I was five or six when I preached my first sermon. I found it on video the other day. I thought about putting it on YouTube, but it was really short, pretty lame. What do you expect from a five or six year old? But, okay. I've been doing this for a while, okay? If I'm the reprobate and you haven't caught me yet, I am very impressive. I I mean, I should get some kind of reprobate reward for for being so sneaky. But anyway, so verse 11, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. There is no way that after all Paul went through that he was just conning them. There's no way. And folks, you know, I'm telling you, man, if I've been conning you, you know, I mean, what a waste. Right? You know, people, people always tell me, I'm in this for the money. I'm in this for the fame and the glory. And I'm thinking, where is it then? Let me tell you, if I'm in this for the money and for the fame and the glory, I stink. I fail. Sometimes I want to show these people my bank statement and my, my bank account. It's like, are you serious? You, you really think that that's what I'm in this thing for? You know, these people, too, who don't know my life, who haven't been in this church, who don't know about a lot of the you know, sacrifices and battles I've had to face because they weren't on YouTube. When it comes to some of the old crowd that's given me a lot of grief and a lot of the junk I've had to put up with there, people don't know because I'm not out there talking about these things. Many of you know about these things. You've seen these things. You've been here with me through these things. But it's funny. It's never the people in my church that are accusing me of these things. It's just the peanut gallery online you know, who have declared themselves you know, the new IFB you know, reprobate spotters. And uh, I do, man, I, I reject these people. I'm embarrassed by them. But right here's where they can get me, though. There's always the magic verse you can get me. This is where you, is where you can get me right here. Okay? But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. You know why it's taking so long, Brother Tommy? Because it's getting worse and worse. It's getting harder and harder to spot them. That's how you've made it 20 years. And we're just now spotting you. So we got a Bible verse to prove it. There's always a Bible verse. Okay? Anybody who wants to come after me, they can do it. they got a Bible verse. Okay? And once it's decided... The people are just done with me. Wait until you find out all this stuff they've known about me for years. Okay, that's pathetic. That's sorry. And you know, I try to practice something. If I know, if I think something about somebody, if I know something about somebody, if, and I wasn't willing to say anything about it before, I have to shut my mouth when it comes time later. And I can give some examples of people that I did. I had my reservations about that. I had things I was concerned with, but I never said anything. And later, when they were exposed. I kept my mouth shut about it still. There's people still out there that I do think are bad, but you know what? I didn't say anything before, and so therefore I don't get to say it now 
you know, when the wind shifted. But that's not the most people don't operate under their rules. And, and but that those are my rules, and that's how that works. So Paul said it was going to get worse and worse. And so this attempt to hijack Christianity, it, start, it started shortly after Christianity began. It was going on in Paul's day. So in verse 14, we're kind of back to where we were in chapter 2, where he's wanting to preserve the good doctrine. And so he says, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Man, this is good right here. So first of all, I continue what you've been taught and understand you know who taught you these things. Hey, Timothy, you know me. You know I'm for real. You've seen the evidence. You know These things that you are practicing, that you do, you know where they came from. You know where you learned them. You know that it's good. And let me tell you something about when it comes to the old IFB that is not perfect. Okay? And neither are we. But let me tell you, when it comes to a lot of the old IFB, I've seen the fruit, and there's a lot of good fruit. They've got a lot of wonderful things going for them. And while there's stuff that I don't necessarily agree with and I don't like and I wish they'd get right, and I hope they will get it right, and I want to try to help them get it right, okay? I, I know who these people are. Many people that our crowd has declared unsaved reprobates, I actually know them. I've actually been around them, had dinner with them, you know, sat in their churches, talked to their people, been at their houses. Okay? I actually know these people and the things that they taught. And I, have, and it's a, some stuff, I, don't, I, I don't know anybody I agree with 100% on anything, including my wife. But yet, at the same time, I don't think my wife's unsaved just because we disagree sometimes. Okay? But yet, these clowns want to do that with everybody. I think that's ridiculous. But I'm just going to tell you right now, when it comes to you know, that crowd, when it comes to some of these people, I'm sorry, I still like Dennis Corbin. I can't help it. I don't think he likes me that much. When I call him and I try to get him to come out here, he doesn't return my phone calls. You know, yeah, he said some stuff that's questionable. He said some stuff that I don't like. But at the end of the day, I know what he is. Okay, he's been around a long time. I know what he is. And he's not me. He's not Jesus. But I know what he is, and I like him. And it's like that. There's a bunch of preachers. You know, I'm just going to start name dropping some preachers just to freak them out. Okay, I like Pastor Terry Angel. Faith Baptist and Bourbon A. I think he's a great pastor. I, I let him come preach for me. I don't know if he'd want to. And, you know, the old IFB, man, they, they're very cliquish. And, you know, you get out of line, you get blacklisted by Keith Gomez. You know, they don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. But you know what? I still kind of like Keith Gomez. I can't help it. <laughs> I, I can't help it. And I know he's been thoroughly reprobated many times by our crowd. But you know what? None of them know him better than me. And I still kind of like him. I can't help it. You know, who else do I like? I like my uncle, Ken Grant. You know, I'm, I, he'd probably be embarrassed to hear me say that, you know, I'm his nephew. I'm not only his nephew, I'm his second cousin. I'm doubly related to that man, and I like him, and I think he's a good guy, and I respect him. But, you know, at, at, at the same time, our crowd would probably reprobate some of these guys. But you know what? I know them. 
I've seen what they've produced. I've seen what they stand for. They have been around a long time. While some of our crowd was still smoking pot, these guys were preaching the gospel. And it wasn't that long ago for some people. You know, while some got people in the new IFB were sitting in jail, while they were in divorce court, these guys were helping people put their marriages back together. And yet, because they have not adopted our terminology on some things, and they're not as clear as we are on the gospel, and yet, yet we're more clear. We're better. I know what they are, though. But when it comes to some people in our own crowd, I don't really know what they are just yet. It's kind of freaking me out, some, some of them. Especially these online weirdos. Just they, 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 they freak me out. And I like what Paul said, but continue down the things that thou hast learned. And has been assured of. I didn't just tell you these things and intimidate you into just repeating back what I said. So you can go act like Mr. Macho, I'm of Paul. No, I assured you of them. I proved them to you. And you know me. You know where you learned these things from. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You know what? My dad, who pastored a church faithfully for 30 years and did other things before that, I mean, I know what he taught me. I lived in his house. I sat under his preaching for most of my life. I know what he really is. And therefore, you know, these clowns that want to come along and, and proclaim their form of godliness and then try to, you know, condemn someone like my dad, I'm not falling for that. Okay? I'm not, you know, the Lord has not asked us to just blindly follow people just because of their title and their position. And when it comes to a pastor, you know, they ought to have prove themselves. And that's not going to happen overnight. You know, some of you have been to church a while. Some of you haven't been as long as others. And you know, you shouldn't just blindly follow everything I say. But you know, hopefully, eventually, over time, I prove myself to you. And then with confidence, you can say, well, you know what? Not only do I know what the Bible says, not only have I been assured that it's right, but I even know who taught it to me. It was somebody who was actually real. Someone who actually demonstrated the power of the Holy Ghost. Versus the loudest guy in the room. Verse Versus the most extreme personality on the internet. You know, I actually know where this came from, and that's what that's what Timothy had, and what Paul is reminding him of, because Paul wants Timothy to continue what he had been taught. So he's letting him know, hey, you've got the right thing here. You've got something that's been around and is always going to be around. So I do think you. Know, and here's this other thing too. You know why so many people are freaked out by the new IFV and the old IFV? Because it's called new. You know, that's why I don't really like that term. Because I'm from the old IFB. We don't like anything new. We like, we like everything old. You know, how many, how many Baptists is it, fundamental Baptists, old IFB Baptists, does it take to change a light bulb? Change? We don't do that. We're going to use the old light bulb. We're going to stay in the old paths. So he's warning this is ba- So this is basically the theme of this book, sticking to these things. And then he says in verse 16, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. What we need and what has always been 
what we've always needed is in the Scriptures. Everything we need is in the Scriptures. The Bible is our final authority, and we're not going to change. And you know, it's ridiculous to think that God would inspire Paul to write a book exhorting Timothy to preserve the doctrine that he had been taught in a way that would make it last until Jesus comes back, and then to think that God wouldn't make sure he preserved his word. And interestingly enough, the demented grace trendy crowd never thinks we have a perfect Bible. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting that anybody, everybody wants to give them correct this Bible are all totally into the things of the flesh. I don't think that's right. You know what? That's evidence, folks. That, that's, that's good evidence right there. If we don't have the inspired word, then how could we be thoroughly furnished unto all good works? We, we couldn't do that. The scriptures were given by inspiration of God. Why? So we could, they would be proper for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction, righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect and complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. He said that in a passage, in a book that's all about preserving good doctrine. Why would God inspire, and God had to inspire his word so we could do that? So folks, how could this King James Bible not be inspired? How could we possibly preserve good doctrine without a perfect Bible? It makes no sense to think that you know the truth is only in the originals. When we don't have any originals. To think that God could not have miraculously preserved his word and had his hand on the translation so we would have a perfect Bible. It, it doesn't even make sense to think that. Yet you, we've got the same crowd we're talking about that want to cast shade on our King James Bible and act like there's something wrong with it and act like we don't have perfect. And if we don't have a perfect Bible that we can't do, we can't preserve good doctrine. We can't have. And maybe the reason doctrine is getting so bad is because so many Bibles are in churches. But churches that hang on to their King James Bible, while not all of them are perfect, they're still doing pretty good on most things. And I believe that that's what God wants. And so, But we're in perilous times, folks. We're, it's crazy what's happening in churches doctrinally. You know why? Because they love themselves. They're lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And we need to turn away from these people and we need to stay far away from them. So with that... Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word and instruction that it gives us. We thank you for giving us a perfect word of God. We thank you for the miracle of preservation, Lord. And I pray you'll help us to take advantage of this miraculous gift that you have given us and help us to actually follow it and practice it and not go uh, just picking and choosing what we like. But I pray that we'll uh, just uh, take full advantage of it so we can have that power and we can make a difference in people's lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand.